0: It's interesting, Brother John Mike, that you've been reading Job. I was reading Job a lot the last few weeks. And um, nobody likes suffering when it happens. Nobody likes hardship. That's for sure. I tried to preach last week that people mistake what faith is. And they focus on the outcome that they want to happen, latch on to it, and then uh, hope for that outcome with all of their energy, and they call that faith. But faith is trusting that God is going to be who He said He is. And the hardest nights when I was in the hospital with with my wife, when she was in there, convinced us more of God's faithfulness than the outcome of her walking today. You understand that? I don't know if I can explain what I'm trying to say, but what John Mike just said, I feel like it's kind of the same thing. God is good all the time. He's faithful all the time. It's not dependent on the outcome that we hope will happen. He would have still been faithful if she didn't walk out of there. would have still been faithful if you... You understand, God is always faithful. We want certain things to happen. But sometimes we need to step back and widen our gaze and see that His faithfulness surrounds us. I have on my heart today to preach from Colossians. I think I'll try to just stick mostly to that letter. If you want to go ahead and turn there. If you're looking for it, it's right after Philippians in the New Testament. I want to give us a little bit of background on this book. Before I do, I want to read chapter 2, verse 6. This is kind of the theme of why Paul is writing. He said, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. There was a time when Jesus was surrounded by His disciples. Some children came up to Him. And they, being the good religious people that they were, tried to run the children off so they wouldn't bother Him because He had more important things to do. And Jesus, if you remember, He said, Suffer the little children to come unto Me, and do not prevent them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I love that while we were singing those songs that we call children's songs, people became uninhibited, and actually laughed, and actually felt happy. And when we got done, we put our adult faces back on. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Do you remember what it took for you to be saved? You had to become as a little child. And do you know if we could just return to those quote, children's songs, unquote, if we could just really latch on to those truths, Jesus loves me. So many Christians waste Months or years of their lives because they can't accept that truth. Jesus loves me. Not only because the Bible tells me so, but because His Holy Spirit confirms it inside of my spirit. He loves me. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. You received him as little children. You have to walk in him as little children. Brothers and sisters, Paul wrote this letter to a congregation he had never been to while he was imprisoned, And he felt like the things that he was writing were important enough to focus on them while he himself was in bondage. This was a congregation he didn't establish. It was in a town that, as far as we know, he didn't visit beforehand. He sent someone else to that Um, Valley, and that person established this congregation. And Paul heard about what was going on with these people and he felt compelled to write a letter to them. Sometimes I wish we could have an apostle come and write a letter to some of the Lord's churches today and correct us on ways that we could improve. See, this was a new congregation of Christians who were mixed up In the cultural tumult of the time, they had Hellenistic ideas, that means Greek, they had Judaistic ideas that came from their fathers, and it's the same with us today. We go to church and if you're away from church very long, you have to go somewhere else, you come back and you see all these different customs and traditions coming in from different regions and areas and beliefs, they had the same thing. So Paul felt compelled to write to them. If you read commentators, they all talk about the Colossian heresy. But nobody knows what it was because we're not told. I read this letter and I take it as godly wisdom from an older saint of God to new Christians about how to live for him. And the central theme, there's a reason this is right in the middle of his letter, is what I've dwelt on so far. Just in the same way that you received Jesus when you repented and trusted Him. You became as a little child, you have to serve Him with the same kind of dependent, unconditional faith. See, somewhere along the way, brothers and sisters, after that moment of unconditional surrender, when God forgives us and saves us and shows us that we're His, somewhere along the way we start becoming a little bit smart. We start uh, studying a little more and we start leaning on our own understanding and we start trying to figure things out for ourselves. And the more we do that, the more we do that. Until God allows circumstances into our lives to break us, so we'll again be reminded that we are children. If you have an older person in your family, a grandfather, or grandmother... And you're like under 40 years old. They, they, they think of you as a child. They call you a child. <laughs> They're so much older. God is older than we can imagine and yet He doesn't age. We're all children to Him. Entire nations are like dust on a scale. Why do we rely so much on our own understanding? Why do we rely so much on our own minds? Why do we worry so much about trying to figure things out before we take action to serve the Lord? You know what a little child is concerned about before they become um, corrupted by their own nature and by external influence? A child, all they care about is pleasing their parents. Oh, the sinful nature creeps in and they want to rebel as well. But deep in the heart of that child, if they're a good child, what they really want is to please their parents, and God, when He saves us, He puts inside of us a desire to please Him. What's on my heart today is to talk about how we do that. But I want to give a little bit of a background on, on this letter, why it was written. Paul did write it from imprisonment. There are a few points he makes later that I'll get to. Um, but let me, let me get to the main verses that are on my heart. First chapter of Colossians. I'll just start the first verse so we have a clear context. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, greats, Be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you, a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving giving thanks unto the Father who has made us meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created by Him and for Him and He is before all things and by Him all things consist let me take that last part first there's some type of false doctrine that has creeped in among these people. We don't know exactly what it is, but what we do know is Jesus is the solution. Whatever false idea has come among them, Paul reminds them, Jesus Christ redeemed us with His blood. All things were by Him and for Him. He was before all things and everything consists by Him. He upholds all things by the word of His power. Whatever you believe, whatever customs you've embraced, whatever ideas or habits you call church, here's how you can investigate whether they're actually from God. Are they founded in Jesus? See, we're humans. And we get off track and we stop being little children and we come up with our own ideas, habits and behaviors and belief systems and pretty soon not everything we do is from God. way you can know whether it is from him is is this thing that we're doing founded in Jesus does it draw attention to Jesus does it uplift Jesus does it draw people's hearts to Jesus nothing else matters religion has never saved anybody in fact if you want to be honest with yourselves religion killed the messiah Say, well, preacher, are you anti-religion? I'm not anti-religion. I'm at church today. But I believe in the life that Jesus gives. And that doesn't come through a, a, a religious system. It comes through Jesus himself. And he's the head of the body of the church. All fullness dwells in him. He reconciled all things to himself. You read the rest of this letter, it's just a beautiful... The verses that I really feel the need to focus on is nine and ten. Paul says, "I've heard of you and your faithfulness. Oh, that we could say this about each other, about our brothers and sisters in Christ." He said, "Ever since we heard about it, we don't cease to pray for you. He heard about this congregation and started praying for them all the time. Let me let me step back a moment." And say, we don't understand how important prayer is. Oh, when we go through something hard, we appreciate the prayers of God's people. But then as soon as we're better, we go back to our busy lives. And prayer is somewhere down the list of important things. I'm not being critical. I'm just telling you, human nature, we start as little children, utterly helplessly dependent. We start relying on our own strength more and more and more. And we don't need to pray as much. We think we don't. And man, prayers where the spiritual warfare is. So Paul says, ever since we heard about you, we pray for you. And we desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. How many of us run around in our lives unsure about what God wants? How many of you are paralyzed in indecision because you are afraid you might do the wrong thing? How many of you fail to act at times because you're afraid it won't be the right choice? Paul says, I pray for you continually so that you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Brothers and sisters, this is what's on my heart to remind us of today. You can be filled with the knowledge of God's will in your life. You don't have to run around confused and uncertain. You can know what He wants. Filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. How do you get the knowledge of God's will? He tells us right here, it's through wisdom and spiritual understanding. How do you get wisdom? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's returning to that little childlike faith in God, knowing that there's nothing you can do to help yourself. He is all and in all and anything you need comes from Him. You do the best you can, and you still depend on Him because all gifts come from Him. He's the giver of all good things. He's the father of lights. He's the father of all gifts. They come from Him. He's the only faithful one, He's the only one without variation, and He has no shadow of turning. James tells us that. Wisdom comes first from the fear of the Lord and through spiritual understanding. We're talking about spiritual revelation. We're not talking about something you can sit in a study with some books and figure out in your head. I'm not opposed to knowledge. We need knowledge. I'm not opposed to studying. We should study. But what I'm telling you is there are truths of God that are high above our understanding. Your mind, the carnal mind, cannot understand the ways of God. The only way you can latch on to them is through spiritual revelation. That comes from time with God. You know what? I got, I got married lately. I told you all that. I'd been married uh, what, two and a half months, something like that. I read a bunch of books about marriage. Preached sermons about marriage. I, I, I read the scriptures about marriage. I tried to learn about it ahead of time. I would talk to people who had been married longer than I had and I tried to learn from them about marriage. I had all this information about marriage, but I realized when I was finally married, I didn't know how to be married. I had to do it. I had to experience it. It's trial and error. We bring in and this is the way we come into our marriage with the Lord. We bring in all our own ideas, habits, customs. My wife and I sometimes we get tickled at each other, and more often that than frustrated, I hope. But let me give you one little example because it, it amuses me. I, You know, vegetable peelers, you get the, the peeling off vegetables. I say, hey, babe, where's the vegetable peeler? Well, it's by the stove. Why is it by the stove? I don't peel vegetables at the stove. It should be by the sink. And she said, well, where I used to live, I didn't have a drawer by the sink. My only drawer was by the stove. That's right. Neither one of us were right. We do the same thing with our profess worship of the Lord. We have our ideas, our customs that we learned from people and sometimes, and I stepped back and I was a little frustrated at first and then I said, (laughs) it's just funny. That was my custom, it wasn't hers. We figured out how to put it together. When we serve the Lord, it doesn't matter what our custom, habit, tradition, opinion is. All that matters is what He wants. And then on top of that, He's the head of the body The body is made up of all these different body parts with different customs, habits, and traditions. If you're a foot, you're used to wearing shoes. If you're a hand, try putting shoes on your hand and see how useful you are. If you're legs, try putting a shirt on your legs and see how well you can walk. We're all body parts of this body. Jesus is the head. The only thing that matters is what He tells us to do, and we have to figure out as well as possible how to get along with the rest of the body parts. The best way we do that is to look up to the head and see what he says. That's what Paul's trying to remind these people of. Somewhere along the way, they started trying to be smart in their own wisdom. They started bringing in ideas they absorbed from the Greeks or from the Jews or from history or from culture. And they stopped listening to just what the head was saying. He shows us his will through spiritual revelation. And that comes direct to our spirits through our quiet time with God, our private time with Him. It amazes me that all through Scripture, see, sometimes as humans we get loud when we're excited. Most of the time God speaks in Scripture, it's very quiet. Moses is walking by the burning bush. He stops because he's curious. He doesn't take his shoes off. The Lord says, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. There's a difference in God and us. He spoke to him and thunder from heaven. Elijah's up in the, the cave. He's won this great victory and now he's afraid for his life. There's a, an earthquake, a fire, a flood, none of those things. Our God, after all of that, he walks out, wraps his face in his mantle, and a still small voice comes. Brothers and sisters, if you want to have peace in your life. If you want to know God's will, there's a step that you have to do before even praying, and that is to be quiet. Brother John Mike mentioned Job, and I mentioned Job last week too. And after all those chapters of Job, the conclusion is, God comes to him and says, who do you think you are? Where were you when I formed the worlds? Where were you when I put the stars in Orion's belt? And he he, he laid it out for Job for... A while. And then Job, here's what Job said. I had heard of you with the hearing of my ears, but now mine eye has seen you. Therefore I abhor myself repent in dust and ashes. All of Job's righteousness that he argued about for almost 40 chapters didn't matter anymore. Do you understand? When we really grasp the righteousness of God, everything we've been trying to prove about ourselves or make good about ourselves, it just blows away in comparison to him. The best I've ever been on the best day of my life isn't anything compared to the righteousness and goodness of God. That was what Job had to learn. He was the most righteous guy around and he still had to repent of his self-righteousness. I mean, he wasn't bad because he was righteous. It was better than being sinful, but he was still, he's not like God. The reason God gives us spiritual knowledge and understanding, being filled with that. It's for a purpose. And this is why He saved you. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. That means worthy of the Lord, pleasing in all things. I don't know if this applies to the older generations, but my generation and younger we have been influenced by this idea that there's a sacred-secular divide, that there's holy activity and everything else. And so a lot of sincere younger Christians want to serve the Lord, and they think they need to latch on to something religious to be able to serve Him, and they've somehow forgotten, or maybe they never knew, that we can walk worthy of the Lord in every category, every facet of our lives. Paul said, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If the only place we serve the Lord is that church, what are we doing with our lives? A couple hours a week? There's so much more. Do you know you can give glory to God when you eat a meal? Comes from a heart outpouring with thanksgiving for all of the blessings of our good and benevolent Creator, the Giver of life. so many ways to glorify God. Worthy of all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What the Lord wants to happen when He saves you, you're a little child and you're a brand new Christian and you're a baby in Christ and He wants you to grow like Jesus did in the knowledge and the fear of the Lord and in wisdom and in stature with God and men. That's the goal. But sometimes we surrender, God saves us and then we go try to figure it out. I've often said that you know, my nature, and God is breaking my nature all the time. He has to. For me to be useful. I'm not very useful the way I'm wired because I'm a very strong personality. I do things on my own. I figure things out. I take care of everybody. And that's, you can't serve the Lord if you're trying to do it all on your own. So He has to break that in us if you're like that And then through that breaking, we come to depend on Him again. And then we realize, it's not my own strength, it's the strength of God. I want to read you a paraphrase from Proverbs 2. My son, if you will receive my words and store up my commands with you, and turn your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding... If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Do you want to understand God more than anything else in life? Do we seek after Him with more energy than anything else in life? Do we really want Him? That's when He reveals who He is and what He is, what He wants. Best advice I've ever been given, I mentioned last week. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord, He'll take care of you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Every time I've ever leaned on my own understanding, I've found out it's incomplete. It is always better to trust in the Lord. There's a place for our own understanding, our own knowledge, our own wisdom. There's a place for it. But we shouldn't lean on it. We shouldn't trust in it. We shouldn't put our hope in it. We should lean on and depend on God and use the talents and gifts He's given us while leaning completely and trusting Him. I'm going to use my mind, but I don't trust my mind. I trust God. That's how we should live. We can be strengthened with all might, this 11th verse, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering or endurance. That's hard. That's what it takes. Life's not easy. Any of us who've lived long enough, you find out that life is not easy all the time. We face hardships, we face struggles, we face loss, we face difficulty, ill health, people dying that we care about, financial struggles, family problems, whatever it is, life's not always easy. And there's a false doctrine that goes around, and it was around at this time of the apostles, that if you just serve God, everything will be fine. You know what David said? He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He didn't say he takes all my enemies away. The world... Is fallen. It's full of sin. And I want us to understand the world is going to keep crumbling. It's going to keep devolving. People talk about evolution. There's some adapting in species for sure. But there's, there's devolution. Things are winding down. There's entropy and atrophy in nature. But there's peace and life in God. How can our lives be pleasing to the Lord? That's the whole point that Paul's writing this letter. It's the point of God saving us. I'll tell you how not to please the Lord be wise in your own eyes, be righteous in your own efforts. Oh, God can't stand that. Two men went down to the temple to pray the one, a Pharisee. You know what a Pharisee was? the esteemed religious leader of the time, the most trusted scholar of Scripture, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. publican is a tax collector, one of the most hated professions of the time. These two men went down to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee prayed within himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, or even like this publican here. And he went on with all he does. I tithe and give alms and all this blah, 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 blah. And I say it that way because I'm sure that's how it sounded to God. Look how good I am, Lord. Blah, blah, blah. He's not impressed with our righteousness. The publican could not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven. He was too broken. He was too humbled before God. And he just beat on his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what Scripture says Jesus taught? The publican, the hated tax collector, the dirty member of society was justified by God. Went down to his house, justified. The Pharisee went home. Jesus taught another place. He said, you can be like the Pharisees, but they have their reward right now in this life. Brothers and sisters, do you want your reward to be your other Christian friends looking at you and saying, oh wow, you sure are great. I don't know about you, but I want a greater reward than that. I want God to look at me one day and say, "Well done, faithful servant. You served me. You tried, not through your own strength." That's what I want. Paul said that I might be found in the Lord, not not of my own righteousness. See, God, when He saves us, He lays hold of us with such a will and purpose for our lives. And we spend the rest of our lives wriggling around trying to figure out our own will and purpose. God has already latched on to us and knows what He wants us to do. All we have to do is let go and let Him show us. You understand? How do our lives please the Lord? Oh, I love this. Even youth shall grow tired and weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. We cannot serve God without waiting on Him. We can't do things in our own timeline. We can't get uh, hasty for the Lord. The first, the foundation of serving God is waiting on Him. That's what it takes for salvation, isn't it? You keep seeking the Lord until He shows you that He has forgiven you. You don't just pray and then say, God, I I accept what you gave me. If there's no change, there's no change. If there's no birth, there's no birth. But as you wait on the Lord for salvation, that's how we should try to wait on Him for life. God just wants us to depend on Him. It's so counterintuitive. See, we always want to do something. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do something. Don't misunderstand me. If we truly wait on the Lord, it will spur us toward action for Him. But God didn't save us to build our own religious castles, our own religious sandcastles. He saved us to wait on Him and labor in this Field that He's given us to labor in. What's the best way we can please God? I said the foundation of it, of course, is waiting on the Lord. I, I want to expand on that a little bit. I, by waiting, this is, sometimes we think waiting is something like this you know, these days on our cell phone. That's not waiting, that's not scriptural waiting. Waiting on the Lord, the best way we can understand what that Greek word means that's used here the best restaurant you've ever been to, the best service you've ever had. That wait staff, the way they wait on you, that's how we wait on the Lord. We are there, ready to move, eagerly anticipating the needs that God may reveal to us, and as soon as He shows us, we go. That's why Abraham was pleasing the Lord. He said, Go, He went. What do we have a habit? I have a habit to do. God sort of sows us something and, well, I don't know, call up our buddy. Hey, what do you think of this? Call up another buddy. What do you think of this? Go read some commentary, watch some, I don't know, YouTube video and weeks and months and we're still not... Sh- no, God shows you, you go. The best restaurant experience I had in terms of waiters, I, I was in Baltimore of all places at this Brazilian steakhouse and... Um, <laughs> It was as if, I really wonder if those waiters were trained to read your lips. Either that or he was reading my mind. Because I said just under my breath to the guy sitting beside me, man, I wish I had some more lamb chops. And this right, three seconds later, appears on my left, sir, did you want some more lamb? Why, yes, I did. That's how we're supposed to wait on the Lord. But you know what? Until he saw my need and heard me, somehow heard me, he was standing there waiting. Yes. How much do we hurt the work of the Lord by muddying up the water, so to speak? We want to be active. But not all activity is progress, brothers and sisters. You know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm just reminding you. God has put it in my heart to stir us up by reminding us of the truth. What's the best way you can worship the Lord, serve the Lord? To praise Him. To praise Him. I'm saying this just because it's real. This is not about me or, or my wife, but the hardest nights at the hospital that nobody saw. When This is what was in my head. You may not know this. She got this neurological disease that rapidly attacks your nerves. You become paralyzed. And the doctors, the only comfort they could tell us was, uh, you're going to keep getting worse until you stop getting worse. And then you'll plateau and you'll start getting better. And so every day it was worse. Can't walk today, can't pick up my legs the next day, weaken my torso the next day, can't use my hands the next day. That's what I saw, this, this rapid decline. And the worst nights, in my head, was this awareness. She could die. They said you could go on a ventilator. She could go on a ventilator. She was close to it. And you know, in those moments, we still praise the Lord. Because it's all we could do. That's not about my righteousness or her righteousness. We would say, God, we don't understand this. We praise you because you're God. That's what God wants from us. And it it, it almost is easier to praise Him in those times than the good times because we get busy and forget about it. I'm going to close by reading you a, a poem that I didn't write. It's by somebody called Davy Flowers. But it arrested my heart when I heard it. And I really believe, as I close with this, that the prayer of my life, the prayer of our life, should be, God, help me know how to praise you. He alone is worthy. We're commanded in Scripture to praise Him. We're commanded to rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. There's whole songs or psalms on praising the Lord, and yet we go through life forgetting that we're a little child who's just supposed to please God, trying to figure out all the religious nuances. That's okay on the side, but the center focus should be praising the Lord. Praise Him. Praise Him for the cosmos. And the picture that it paints of an artist so brilliant he can scarcely be defined. Praise him. For the first time you paused to notice the open sky and wondered what kind of imagination could inspire such beautiful things from scratch. Praise him for the scratch. For dust held in the hands of a master craftsman, unafraid to share his likeness with those whom he knew would break his heart and test his patience and try his love, praise him. For the borrowed breath that you breathe and the faculties that function so as to remind you that you are not your own, for a love that finds its way to you in every season, letting you know that you are not alone, praise him, remembering never to forget all his benefits, too numerous to be calculated too heavy to be weighed on scales, too astronomical to be quantified. Praise Him for the miracles your eyes have seen, that you were too hard-hearted to believe, too nearsighted to perceive, too self-sufficient to receive. And still somehow, He met all your needs. Praise Him. For broken hearts and bruised knees, for mountains brought low and valleys raised, for joy given in the deep of the night. Praise him for the night and weeping that always expires and lasts only as long as he allows. Praise him for all that he allows, all that he permits, all that he prevents, and all that he provides. For blessings often overlooked because they're disguised. Praise him for Jesus, who brought the radiance of the sun and the tyranny of an unrelenting dark night. And before you were even awake to the world, you glorified his light warmed by the generosity of his love, carried from death to life on the wings of faith. Remember your name uttered in a prayer and your heart awakened to your need for his Savior. Remember your Savior who showed up at just the right time to show humanity that God would never turn his back on the world that he made. Praise Him for the way that He came. Matchless power contained in the frame of a child, born in a city as obscure as they come, the giver of life filling up His very own lungs with the same breath that we breathe to show that He is not ashamed of us. He is well acquainted with us. He is committed no matter what the cost to saving us. Praise Him for saving us and the cross that provided the means. The door through which we enter. In the shade under which we rest. His righteousness and not our own. His grace and His grace alone. Calling us out and bringing us in. Conquering death and absolving our sin. Let me say it again. Praise Him. Oh, this light is the best. Praise Him in the season that you're in. For it bears the mark of His hold on you. And when life gets a hold of you. Tempting you to forget. Lift your eyes. Lift your hands. Lift your hearts and praise Him.